Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Mark's Attic. Everyone is cordially invited to join co-host Zach and me, Uncle Mark, as we explore a variety of interesting topics from the fields of paranormal activities, conspiracy theories, unsolved mysteries and disappearances, and lots more. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook um, at Uncle Mark's Attic. And if you want to support the show in any way possible, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can leave us a review on Spotify. So if you want to leave a five-star review, that'll be greatly appreciated. Uh, also, feel free to reach out and contact us with your questions and suggested topics. We would love to hear from you. So come on into the attic with us now as we go exploring and find out what mysteries we discover today. Today's episode is about demonic possessions and exorcisms, part three. So we just recorded part two. That's why we're in the same clothes. In our previous podcast, part one, Demonic Possessions and Exorcisms, we talked about some of the basic information about this subject. Um, we discussed what is a demon, uh, what is a demonic possession, and what exactly is an exorcism. If you have not already watched part one, we strongly recommend that you do, as it will uh, help you better understand and benefit from watching this part three segment. Um, in our other previous podcasts on the subject, part two, we took a detailed look at some of the cases of demonic possessions that Dr. Richard Gallagher wrote about in his book, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal, which was published in 2020. Dr. Gallagher is a psychiatrist who graduated from Yale University Medical School, and he is considered the world's leading scientific expert on the subject of demonic possessions. So now that we have caught you up and refreshed your memory from the last two episodes, Mark is going to take over. All right. And today we're doing, as Zach said, part three in our podcast on demonic possessions and exorcisms. In this podcast, we're going to be reviewing some information from the book, The Diary of an American Exorcist by Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. And this book was published just last year in 2021. We're also going to share some information from the book entitled An Exorcist Explains the Demonic by Father Gabriel Amorth, uh, a priest exorcist from Italy who served as the exorcist for the Diocese of Rome. He performed thousands of exorcisms over his 60 years as a priest, and he's recognized today as an ultimate and the ultimate authority on this subject by many exorcists. Father Amworth's book is the shorter of the two, so we'll start with that book. Uh, it was interesting for us to not only read a book by an actual exorcist, but to read one from an exorcist who lives and worked in another country. Father Amworth died in 2016. Uh, he wrote a number of books on the subject of exorcisms and demonic possessions, and in this book he really goes over a lot of the same basic information about demonic entities and exorcisms that we reviewed in the very first podcast that we did on the subject. And he did write um, at length in this book about the four levels of demonic activity that we went over in part one. But I don't think it'll hurt for us, Zach, to go over those again. It's just a bit of a refresher because they're really a, an important a, a bit of information for everybody to try to get in their heads. All right. So starting with level one and the most common type of demonic activity <coughs> is infestation. These activities are things we commonly associate with the classic haunted house, um, which would be loud noises, electrical appliances going off and on by themselves, uh, mysterious voices, foul odors, windows and doors opening and slamming shut, 
loud footsteps, and so on and so forth. These infestations are often the result of some previous activities in the location like satanic rituals, seances, the abuse of minors, a murder, or a suicide. Uh, usually a blessing of the building will take care of the problem. Now we move on to the second level, which is demonic obsession, which is an intense and persistent attack on the mind of the victim. The person will suffer with obsessive impulses to harm others, kill someone, in other words. Uh, They will have the overpowering thoughts that make them think they are going insane and thoughts that the only way to get out of this condition is to make a pact with Satan. Again, this does not require an exorcism, usually a blessing and prayers with a clergyman, and the victims should seek psychiatric assistance. The third level, as we've mentioned before in our previous two podcasts, the third level is demonic oppression, or as Father Amworth termed it in the book, Diabolical Vexations. I think I like that. That title, that's very, that's definitely an eye catcher there and an ear catcher too. Now, this is the most common form of demonic activity. Uh, actual physical and psychological attacks against the victim, scratches and bruises, illnesses that seem to not have any apparent cause, and the person will often show an aversion to anything sacred or having to do with God. They'll have a physical inability, to, for example, to step into a church uh, usually also blessings and deliverance prayers are the, the normal remedy that would, would help anyone in dealing with this level of demonic possession. Finally, the, the rare fourth level is total demonic possession. And we want to keep saying this. I know I stressed it a lot in, in the first podcast. Extremely rare, but it is real. And it's important that we go over all of this. A demon... According to Father Amorth, very rarely Satan himself, a demon will take temporary control of a person's body. They will speak and act through the body without the person's knowledge, and this occurs during moments of crisis. Uh, The victim enters into a trance state, and in the moments of crisis, the demon can manifest itself through strange bodily contortions, displays of unnatural strength. It will show the ability to speak foreign and ancient languages and have knowledge of secret or hidden things. After the crisis passes, the victim will not remember anything that has transpired. Now, at this level, the full possession, full physical possession of a person, this requires the actual rite of exorcism to be performed in order to have the actual liberation of the victim. And the actual liberation can require multiple sessions. Sometimes it can actually require a number of years before the possessed victim is actually fully liberated, freed of the demonic possession. So Father Amorth does mention that he worked with many victims who were people of different faiths. He felt that those who were distant from their faith were uh, the more susceptible. Also, the victims came from all age groups, Mm -hmm. as we previously spoke about in the last episode, Mm -hmm. um, which I think was a pretty good example Um, In his work in Italy, he often worked with victims who had become involved with satanic groups or cults. Uh, He saw the lure of these groups as being their promise that that there is no limits to your pleasures and no one has the right to command you. 
you are the God of yourself. He did see cases where some of these people had been given gifts when they uh, concentrated themselves to Satan. Um, These gifts included foresight, the ability to see things that would happen in the future, and clairvoyance, the ability to see people and things that were not visible. Um, He dealt with many cases that were multiple spirits uh, acting upon the possessed victim at the same time, and there was a noticeable hierarchy to these demons in these cases. Some demons definitely showed that they were in charge of weaker demons. He wrote that he always insisted on psychiatric evaluations first, which is a big step. Yes, and we've talked about that both in our first and second podcast on this topic, and it's it's interesting to see that, that it's not just an American thing. Here we are reading a famous Italian exorcist. And yes, psychiatric evaluations are absolutely vital and mandatory before any exorcist should go forward with the performing of a rite of exorcism. Because as all of these exorcists have said, and Zach and I have talked about this in, in both of the two previous podcasts on the subject, the vast majority of people who are brought to an exorcist uh, by family members or friends who suspect possible demonic possession, the vast majority of them will be found to really be suffering from mental illnesses and mental disorders. It's not a possession. So it's very important that they have those psychiatric evaluations performed as part of the whole discernment process of determining what exactly is going on with this poor person and then getting them the proper treatment. In most cases, it will be psychiatric treatment. That, Like with Dr. Gallagher, that's what he is, a, a psychiatrist. That's what you want to have. So the, it was good to see that. Good to see that confirmed. Um, he saw many cases where the possessions, now this is in Italy, were a direct result of a person trying to resolve a problem by turning to a wizard or witch or to occultism, or it often involved a person who was persisting in leading and living a life of uh, sin and vice. And in his work in Italy, he felt that 90% of the possessions that he dealt with were the result of people practicing spells and curses against someone. Now, that is not the case here in America based on our research and reading to date. We have come across some references to possession cases that involve some sort of a curse being placed on someone. Dr. Gallagher talked about that in his book, Demonic Foes, and and also Monsignor Rossetti spoke about that in his book, The Diary of an American uh, Exorcist. But that is not the case for the majority of the cases that we have been researching and read about. That seems to be more of something within the culture cultural context of, of Italy. But for him, that's very interesting that, that such a high percent of the cases he was working with did involve uh, the use of spells and curses. Father Amorth also did write about cases where victims did literally levitate during an exorcism. Zach and I were talking about that in, in the, the second podcast that we did on this subject. And he stressed the importance of having people there with the exorcist who can immobilize, who can restrain the possessed person if necessary. He also wrote about a number of cases where he had victims who vomited up nails, glass, and other physical objects during the exorcism. These actual items appear to materialize during the process of vomiting itself. So it's not that they're coming from the stomach or the intestine, something like that. It seems to be that as the person is unfortunately uh, vomiting, 
they're literally appearing as the vomiting as the vomit is coming out of the person. So, but they're real objects. But it's not like oh my god, these nails were inside their you know what I mean they were inside their stomach yeah. or the glass. Uh, small statues of actually little figurines have been seen. Uh, it's not that, but just just it's a technical point. But just want to make that clear that it's not that these things are coming from deep within the person's anatomy within their body, but these are things that seem to mysteriously appear. They seem to mysteriously materialize during the process of the vomiting itself um, while the exorcism is going on. Uh, while reading his book, we could not help but notice that much of what he wrote in this particular book that he wrote uh, confirmed what we had previously read in our research on possessions and exorcisms. I, I'm i sorry. I just I looked really shocked on that because I just realized what you said. <laughs> They're vomiting nails in class. Oh, yeah. yeah. Objects? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are these people swallowing these prior? No, that's the point. Um, This is rather quick review. Dr. Amworth, uh, excuse me, Father Amworth's book was smaller. We're going to go into a little bit more detail uh, in this topic uh, about the vomiting and these objects materializing uh, with Monsignor Rossetti's book, The Diary of an American Exorcist. We'll go into a little bit more detail, but yeah, uh, we'll just stop here because it is a good question because believe me, it's, it's an incredible thing to think about. But this is an ability that has been displayed numerous times during numerous exorcisms where demons, it's yet another power that they are able to display when in their state of rage and hatred and they're being attacked. That's what an exorcism is. The exorcist is attempting to drive them out of a possessed person. That yes, they can make objects materialize out of nothing. Dr. Gallagher speaks about this in his book, Two on Demonic Foes, as a psychiatrist who's worked and assisted at actual exorcisms many times. But Monsignor Rossetti really goes into it because, um, well, I don't want to go too far ahead into our talk here, but uh, he'll explain why, you know, what, what, okay. is ha- what is happening as far as why are they vomiting and all that. Yeah. It, it, it's, okay. it's just explained. But, but the point is, it's an incredible mystery when you think about it because these objects are real. Now, I did read myself in some of the research I was doing about one exorcist in Italy who actually kept one of the nails that was vomited out by a person during the exorcism. Kind of strange, but... But, yeah, which which is very interesting. But uh, very often, from other reading that I've done, uh, some of these objects, they seem to... They materialize during this process in the midst of an actual exorcism, but then they dissolve very quickly or disintegrate, if you will, before anyone could actually... But they do hit the ground. There are nails, there are pieces of glass, small figurines hair. It's um, a snake on one occasion. We'll be talking about an actual snake came out of a person. So, but the point is, these objects aren't inside of them. It's happening at that very moment when yeah. the person is spooing out. I hate to, but you know, we might as well yeah, go into the detail. If you have a weak stomach. Okay, let's, you know, it, uh, when it's coming out, it, that's when it's happening. It's not something that was actually physically at that moment inside of them. But just think about the mystery of that and the in, incredibleness of that, that these entities, these demonic entities, are able to manufacture, materialize something out of nothing. I I find that a mind-boggling concept, let alone reality, but it's reported in many cases. Not not every exorcism, not by any means, not by any means in the rare, you know, the rare cases of exorcisms that are actually performed, say, here in the United States, but it does happen. So it happens enough that it is addressed by 
Father Atmorth, and also by Monsignor Rosetti in his book, and by Dr. Gallagher, too, that there is that strange ability to make things materialize out of nothing. And as I told you in the second podcast, I mean, this whole area of demons and demonic possessions, uh, exorcisms, it's the supernatural. It's nobody has their arms around the whole topic. It's it's yeah. a lot of mystery still. Even experienced exorcists like Father Amorth or, or Monsignor Rossetti certainly in his book bluntly states, you know, there's a tremendous amount of mystery. We just don't have all the answers. We don't understand it. It's beyond our comprehension. That certainly is right there. Let alone the ability to levitate the body, yeah. to defy the laws of gravity. These are real mysteries that we just... We don't know. We don't have an understanding. Mm-hmm. No, nobody yeah. has it. Nobody has a full understanding or can give you a complete and comprehensive explanation of how can these type of things happen? They, they just sound totally unreal, yeah. magical. Yeah. yeah, I just real quick, you need to go up a little bit. Okay. Oh, the other way, other way. Oh, I'm there sorry. We go. There no. we go. Um, I just wanted to also state that you would find me nowhere near an exorcism to even begin with, but if I were, par se, <laughs> in a room with an exorcism happening, and someone threw up a snake, I will no longer be in no. a five-mile <laughs> radius of that, that location. <coughs> I'm not, I'm not sp- volunteering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. All right. Monsignor <laughs> Stephen Rossetti uh, is the president of the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal, a nonprofit Catholic organization that prays uh, with the people who are spiritually suffering and in need of healing and deliverance. St. Michael Center conducts spiritual education workshops and trains clergy, um, religious, and laity? Laity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he served in the U.S. Air Force before becoming a priest. And he is also a licensed psychiatrist. Psychologist. Oh, psychologist, Psychologist, sorry. Um, He has been a, I don't even know what that word is. A diocesan exorcist. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Uh, Yeah, just means for a specific, uh, the the Catholic Church um, has a geographic breakdown, you know, in each country, and they're called a diocese. It's a specific, like... Uh. It can include so many counties uh, in a particular state or whatever, but that's a diocese. So he was uh, an officially appointed exorcist for a particular diocese. That's what that means, a diocesan exorcist. Okay, so Just like diocese. Father Amworth was a diocesan ex- uh, okay. exorcist for Rome okay. as one big diocese. Yeah. Okay. He has been a diocesan exorcist for over 12 years and has participated in hundreds of exorcisms. His book, Diary of an American Exorcist, was published in 2021. Uh, each entry in his book is a factual account with no hype. Yeah, he stresses that. He wants everyone to realize there's no need for hype, no need for exaggeration, no Hollywood here. Um, <coughs> I went out and got the book as soon as it came out last year, and it is, it's a fascinating book. Uh, there's a lot of information in there. We're just going to go over some of the basic things again, because a lot of it repeats things that we've already talked about and covered in the first podcast and in the second podcast. We don't want to keep repeating a lot of the same things, but he does go over some of that. We'll do, I mean, some of it is necessary. We're going to go over now, but uh, one of the things that I thought was really important in this book, and I remember when I was reading this last summer, uh, Monsignor Rossetti believes that America itself is right now demonically oppressed. He talked about oppression, demonic, that level of activity, demonic oppression. And that's why we're seeing rising levels of unhappiness, 
hopelessness, suicides, domestic terrorism, and we're seeing more and more people practicing occultism, dabbling in witchcraft and Wicca, and we're also seeing uh, increasing rises in uh, drug addictions and even internet uh, porn viewing, so all of this. And he feels it it seriously is a, a result of demonic oppression, not just on an individual level here, but on on a much larger scale, on the macro level, a much larger scale of our country. In his experience as an exorcist, he believes that Satan and demons think of themselves as victims, that they're unfairly treated by God because they turned away from God, as we discussed in our previous podcast. This victim mentality is certainly growing in America, in his opinion. So he does urge people to refrain from judging others so much, and uh, especially if it's just because they disagree with us about something and he would rather see people spending a little more time and making a little more effort in praying and actually just sharing love with people a little bit more and being a little bit more compassionate. Much of what we read in his book, just like with Father Amorth's book, confirms what we previously read about possessions and exorcisms. He, as with many exorcists, he believes that God allows Satan and his demons, his demonic minions, some free reign, don't understand why, but in these areas of demonic obsession, demonic oppression, the rare cases of full demonic possessions, uh, he permits these things, and there's some free reign here so that people might grow in holiness. Uh, In his work as an exorcist, he has seen many, many possessed people who will become stronger in their faith, and they do go on to lead much better and productive and holier lives as a result. He also confirms that demons are limited in the harm that they can do to an individual. They cannot directly kill human beings. And since demons are incapable of love, they can never, capital letters now, they can never enter into any type of a loving relationship. But they have the natural urge for some type of union, just like human beings would. So this drives them then to seek to dominate and possess human beings, and even, in some instances, physical locations or places. In our Part 1 podcast, we provided some of the details of the actual rite of exorcism that is used by Catholic exorcists. Monsignor Rossetti says that the 1614 rite, uh, which was written in the year 1614, Mark, you already know I have to ask, were you there? No, I was not there. Thank you. Just messing. Just a little before my time. A <laughs> couple you. years. Um, <laughs> is the favorite of most exorcists. Once the actual rite begins, he usually sees the demon begin to manifest itself within the first 20 minutes. The possessed person gets, quote-unquote, the look. Uh, their faces show overwhelming rage and pure evil. He stresses the importance of having a full team of people involved in all exorcisms. There will be at least two priests and a number of lay people who will pray with the possessed person and physically restrain them if necessary. Uh, Often one of them serves as a big brother or sister to the victim, and psychiatrists and psychologists are always involved in the initial process of discerning if a person has a mental health issue rather than is the victim of a demonic possession. So what he is basically saying is you need to be prepared. And unlike the guy in which case was it? It was. Yeah. In podcast two, we talked about the case of the Lutheran uh, deacon. What was her name? Barbara, right? Yes. mm -hmm, Barbara. Barbara, Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. He decided he wanted to go in there 
do it by himself, gets thrown up against the wall. Personally, would not be me. I would never yeah. do something so dumb. <laughs> um, but yeah, you want to be prepared for these kind of things. You want to have a good team, um, especially people who can kind of hold back this person and restrain them, as well as other people who will be able to help you uh, fight the demon with prayer and other it's a team effort. Yeah. It should it always be a team, a team effort. effort. Yes. For the safety and, and security of everybody. Yeah. Uh, in his experience as an exorcist, there have been cases where the demon possessing a person calls out for help from other demons during the actual exorcism. So he and the team always uh, say the... Um, um, umbrellino. Okay, umbrellino, umbrellino prayer. Like an umbrella. Think of umbrella, okay. really. Literally, okay. that's where the... Uh, which asks God to set up a perimeter of protection which will prevent Satan from sending in any reinforcements or additional demons. That's the first time in all the reading and research we've been doing and preparing our podcast here that we actually read about that. That was the first for me and for you. I didn't know about this Umberlino prayer before, and that's why you read multiple sources. You want to get as much information as you can. Everyone has a little something else to add. Uh, you know, as opposed to what, you know, the other people, what they've written. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And it's also, again, it's one of those mysteries where you just stop and think like, wow, they can call in reinforcements. Like it's bad enough. There's one, I would think it's bad enough that there's one demonic, demonic entity, you know, uh, possessing, acting upon this person and making their life hell. And then it's like, oh, I'm under attack by this exorcist now and this team of people praying. So let me call in for the cavalry and get some backup here. But when you think about it, I guess it would make sense. You know, they're they're out to destroy and hurt as many human beings as they can. So when they're being pushed up against the wall, it's just natural, I guess, that they're going to call out for help. And thank God they do use these prayers to try and prevent that from happening so that because then it will make it even more difficult for the exorcist and the team working with the exorcist that's trying to help this person achieve liberation. His descriptions of what occurs during the actual exorcisms uh, matches with what we have discussed in our previous podcast. The possessed person will often uh, thrash about in response to the prayers from the very beginning of the rite of exorcism. Uh, It will thrash about and scream in response to any blessed object, such as a, a blessed crucifix or holy water, and the demon will reveal hidden knowledge about the exorcist and even about team members on occasion, and also hidden knowledge about events. And the eyes of the victim sometimes will actually transform and even change color. We had mentioned uh, that one case, I think it was in this, actually I think it was in the first podcast where I talked about, it was Monsignor Rossetti, it's in his book, um, where in the one case he actually saw someone's eyes uh, literally turn from blue to yellow, the pupil shrank down, and then Basically, the face of the possessed victim slowly was taking on the the appearance of a snake, of an adder yeah. snake. So it's a, it's a frightening thought that there can be such phenomena involved, and in what the person is suffering, and you know, in their body while these while these events are going on. Um, exorcisms can be, as Monsignor Rossetti makes very clear, they can be very stormy affairs. The victims will often scream and curse make threats, and that's the demonic entity doing all of this through the person's body that, it's, that it is acting upon. Uh, this indicates that the demon is in pain when they're screaming and cursing and making their threats. Some of them can be very boastful. Uh, and the victim may vomit. Now, 
Monsignor Rossetti, and here we go, Zach, what we were just talking about, advises that the victims actually have actually vomited metal nails, spikes, hair, small figurines. I don't know what they're of. He didn't specify that. And even a snake in one case. So the objects literally materialize out of nothing. In his experience as an exorcist, this is very important, the vomiting normally indicates that the demon is in the process of leaving the possessed victim. The screaming and the yelling is because the, vict- the, the demon is in pain, because anything to do with God, with holiness, anything with uh, sacredness, sanctity, uh, is causing the, the, the demon to be in pain. But the actual, if it gets to the point where the victim is vomiting, in his experience, that's indicating that it's actually in the process of leaving the victim, which is the beginning of liberation, the, the beginning of that full freedom for the victim. During the exorcism, the demons can also cause flashes of light to appear in the room, uh, wherever wherever the exorcism is taking place, flashes of light, they can move objects, uh, slam windows and doors, and that full liberation of a possessed victim can take, as we've said before, can take uh, weeks, months, and even years in some very difficult cases. And both Father Amor said that in his book, and Monsignor Rossetti is saying that in his book, The Diary of an American Exorcist. And uh, also, Dr. Gallagher talks about that in his book, Demonic Foes, with some of the uh, cases that he himself is involved in. This is not a quick process, usually. So now we're going to shift into um, haunted houses. In our previous podcast, we spoke about demonic infestation, uh, the demonic possession of a location such as a house. Monsignor Rossetti believes that uh, many so-called haunted houses are actually infested with demons. In his book, he addresses the difference between ghosts and demons. Um, ghosts are the spirits of deceased human beings, and demons are fallen angels. <coughs> ghosts try to get people's attention because they need prayers and help to get to their final place of rest, and demons are out of control and terrorize and destroy people. So, Ghosts will harmlessly manipulate objects to get your attention. Demons will do destructive things. Uh, They'll break objects and they'll attack people. Demons will sometimes pretend to be friendly ghosts to fool you and worm their way into your life. And you see that in a lot of cases with children. Um, If you have ghosts in your home, saying prayers for the dead and having masses said for the deceased right there in the house will normally help. Uh, If there are demons in your home... It is determined that you uh, have an actual demonic infestation, prayers of deliverance, and sometimes exorcism will be needed. Um, And the whole ghost thing is something we're going to touch more on in Mm -hmm. another episode very, very soon. Hopefully, it'll be the next one after this next one we get out. So Mm -hmm. it'll be part three, and then we're calling it this mystery episode, but we both (laughs) know what it is. Um, And then it should be ghosts next after that. Yeah, we have a... uh We've written up quite a bit of information on what we want to do on our very first podcast on ghosts. I'm really glad that Monsignor Rossetti actually addressed the whole issue of ghosts in his book, The Diary of an American Exorcist, because um, they are real. <laughs> That's why he wrote about them. This is certainly someone, he's not normally dealing with it, but you can tell and when you were reading his book, you know, yes, he has had encounters with uh, haunted houses, so to speak, so... As he said, you know, that there has to be a determination made. Is this ghost, the spirits of someone who has died but has not 
passed on, whatever that means, into the next level. Sometimes you hear the phrase, you know, into the light or whatever. Is it, you know, a, a, a deceased human being? Or is it, in fact, a demonic entity? Because that's much more dangerous and that's going to be much harder to work with. But it just shows you the reality, again, of this whole mysterious realm of the dark world and everything that can be involved. But I'm glad that he addressed this because that is important to know. Ghost, uh, there's all these TV shows that have been out over the years, and God knows there's no shortage of videos on YouTube and all of that. I mean, I know it's a very popular topic, but Zach and I are going to try and address that on a, on a very uh, yes. rational level, but, but thorough level. We're going to be looking at this very carefully, and we're going to be doing multiple podcasts, quite frankly, and hopefully at some point we may be able to do our own investigations with That's film work and idea. all of that. Uh, neither one of us is volunteering to be present at an exorcism. I know I don't want to be there. <laughs> for the right price. No, no I don't want to I'll be there go for, for the right price. But for a, uh, for a legitimate a legitimate and serious uh, ghost investigation, I would be more than, than willing. Because as you were just pointing out, Zach, when you were sharing with us what uh, Monsignor shared in his book, you know, ghosts are not trying to harm anybody, a legitimate ghost. They're not trying to harm anybody. They're not trying to be, they, they normally would not be destructive and, and bringing things. They will try to get your attention with making, you know, things turn off and on and flashing lights and, you know, turning on the TV in the middle of the night and things like that uh, because they want people's, uh, they want people to help them. They want their prayers. They want, they want, you know, they're trying to get attention to help themselves. Whereas the demonic infestation, if that's what you're dealing with, it's going to be quite different. And that's what he said. You know, you're going to have destructive uh, tactics, destructive uh, performances by these things and uh, things that would terrorize people, things that are, are forms of attack on people. And that's a big, big difference. So in his book, Monsignor provided um, a case of demonic infestation that he was involved with. There was a family that approached the St. Michael Center, for, where he is the, uh, the president, uh, for assistance. And they do have a website, by the way, if you look that up, the St. Michael Center. It's, um, it's a very good, very interesting website. It has a lot of good information and actually a lot of uh, prayers you can print out and all of that. So I do recommend anyone take a good look at that if you're interested. But anyway, uh, this family approached the St. Michael Center for assistance. They were non-practicing Baptist. They had inherited a house from relatives. Now, the house had been rented out for some years prior to this happening by a man who, it was discovered later, had practiced occult rituals and had also molested minors. So right off, we know that this is going to be a problem because Zach and I have talked about this before in, in podcasts, the second podcast that we did. So after this family had moved into this home, they would see dark, shadowy figures the children would actually hear a voice calling to them from the basement on occasion, calling them to come down into that basement. Uh, the temperature in a room could go from 70 to 30 degrees in seconds or the reverse. Uh, there were loud noises, mysterious footsteps, uh, the house, uh, you know, in other words, classic symptoms or signs of what we call the haunted house. Um, the house had to actually be exercised twice before the family could actually live there in peace. And Monsignor just adds as a note in the book that that family did in fact return to uh, active membership in their Baptist church. In another case that came to the St. Michael Center, uh, there was a fireman and his family who moved into a home, and then the strange things began to happen. You had the lights turning off and on by themselves, doors opening and closing, 
Alexa, would you be playing music without any prompting from anybody? I don't know if that happens normally because I don't have Alexa, but you... Um, sometimes. Actually, I actually wake, woke <laughs> it up and music has been playing. Okay, well then we're going I to sw- I sw- investigate I'd be dead your... Serious. <laughs> I don't know, I don't have that experience, but the, the family did report that Alexa was playing music without any prompting. Uh, and again, the rooms could go from being comfortably warm to being freezing cold in seconds. And both the fireman and his wife would uh, on occasion see a rather dark, shadowy figure that would give them the impression that it was a menacing character or entity. They did not know it when they moved in. Here we go again, Zach. But the house had been previously used for drug and tra- uh, sex trafficking, and there had actually been several murders uh, committed there. In that, I don't know how that could be kept secret. I would think that that would be required to be told to people. You know what I mean? Moving I think into that's the house, actually illegal. I think I, I would think, but anyway, this is what happened. This is the report came in. So that home was clearly demonically infested. That's that demonic infestations that we've talked about. And deliverance prayers and an exorcism were called for and necessary in order for them to be able to live in their home. I do think that that's supposed to be required. Certainly about murders or suicides. I I was fairly certain that that's legal. I I thought most states, if not all states, require that. Yeah, I I don't um, know what state that happened and it wasn't specified. But I mean, this has nothing to really do with uh, demonic attacks, but I have been watching um, Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. And in... I mean, it kind of goes with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. In the one episode, um, the guy gets his lawyer and he needs him, and he's trying to buy this house from his parents, and his parents think he's, you know what I mean, a jack off. He does drugs, whatever. So they're not going to sell him the house directly. And the lawyer comes to him and he's like, "Oh, I'll give you X amount of money for the house." And they're like, "Whoa, whoa, that's way too low." And he goes, "Well, you didn't disclose that there was also a meth lab in the basement, so that okay, that yeah, is, we can either go." and go to court for this, and we'll take the house for nothing, right. or you can sell it to us for $400,000. Oh. Yeah, so I don't know if, I, I don't know if that's a, a thing with murders and sex trafficking. You would assume and hope that that would be a thing? I would hope so. I, don't I mean, <laughs> the first question I'm asking when I buy a house, <laughs> did somebody die here? Yes. yes. That is the most important question. I don't care how big the bedroom is. Did somebody die? <laughs> that is the only thing I need to know. And they tell you, no, uh, we don't think so, but the kitchen's great, isn't it? <laughs> no, we don't want to hear that. Taking a black light with me see if there's blood stains. <laughs> if someone yeah. died, even the pictures, sometimes I'll look at pictures of houses, I'm like, I don't even need to walk in the house. That's haunted. That is haunted. You know, you've got me thinking out loud now here, if you don't mind me just digressing here for a minute here from our prepared uh, script here or notes that we, we usually use. But uh, in the first podcast, I remember telling you about a friend of mine who was having a problem in her and her husband in their home, uh, I had mentioned, I had to go back and look at some, I had written some notes about this actual incident. It was a coworker of mine for many years, many years, and she had come to me with a problem. And in the first podcast, I had mentioned to you that she had the crucifix from her father's yes. casket after he died was on the wall, and she would come home and it would be down, leaning against the wall, you know, on the, like on the floor, not like it had fallen. Yeah. But, in, you know, initially, uh, and it, was, it would happen over and over and over again. And, her husband, of course, thought maybe it's from traffic vibrations, you know, from the vehicles going by outside and all that. But it, it just kept, and then other things started happening, like the TV going on and all that. Now, in the first podcast, I hadn't at that moment remembered all the details of that case. And I had said to you, I, I did recommend to her to, to uh, call, you know, go over and meet with the priest at her 
in her church and to have him come to do a blessing on the house. What I'd forgotten, Zach, because I was just talking off the top of my head then, was that uh, this kept going on, and then eventually her husband and even her son were getting concerned with this, you know, all this stuff that was going on, things kind of moving around in the house and all that. Someone had committed suicide in that home the prior prior to them buying that home. It was disclosed, was it? It was. Uh, it was disclosed, which, and then I said, and you still bought the house? Yes. <laughs> so her and her husband, me. despite that fact, I don't know what the circumstances were of the, of the suicide, but the rest of the story, which, you know, I it didn't dawn on me when I was talking to you during the first podcast. So you have, you have these things going on, but they weren't really destructive things. I mean, the crucifix wasn't being damaged yeah. or the TV wasn't being damaged or if something had been moved, nothing was really being damaged. Here, what happened was, yes, th- this woman who had been married and, and did have children, I don't know exactly what her age was when she committed suicide, but I got the impression that possibly it was later in her life that the kids were grown. What happened was her son had moved back into the neighborhood, one son, and had bought the house right next door. And at this point in time, that son living next door was getting all screwed up on drugs and was a bit of a problem, according to my coworker, who was the neighbor. And all I could think of was that this is a location of a suicide. Someone took their own life, which could easily open up to the possibility of a ghostly presence. And when we go into our ghost podcast, we'll see that sometimes ghosts are in buildings for years and decades and don't exactly draw attention to themselves for whatever reasons we don't know. But, And then I began to think, and I still wanted to have that priest come there and do a blessing on the house and all that, but I thought, is it possible that this mother, now a ghost, the spirit of a deceased person is still there, is aware of what's going on and is trying to get attention from these people now living in that house yeah. where she committed suicide to assist her to help her son. I just, you know, just, I just thought I would mention that to you, but uh, it's still required, like I said, and she did get uh, relief from the help when having the blessing done there at the house. And I even had someone, uh, I helped her uh, contact an organization where there's people on a volunteer basis who do ghost investigations and all that in the greater Philadelphia area. And someone did come there to sit and, and try to help her and her husband, uh, with this particular situation that she was in. And they, between everything, between the priest coming and between him helping them, uh, she was able to get through this, and it did help. But it does make you wonder, like, is that what was actually going on behind this? This is actually yeah. a case of, a, of an actual spirit of a deceased person who was very disturbed by what was going on with her son, who has now yeah. moved back in to the very next row home. It was actually an attached row home, you know, to the place where she had lived, for many years and then had committed suicide. So I just thought I'd share that with you and everyone that's listening to our podcast. It gives you something else to think about in that world of mystery that we still don't fully understand. Yeah. You would definitely think though, like even if it's not like necessarily needed to be stated in in sale, you would leave the common courtesy, but a lot of people, including myself would not buy a house that someone died in. If I, my dog died in the house, I would say my dog died in the house. If you hear barking, contact me immediately. I must admit, I would, when she told me this, you know, when I was, Sitting with her in my office, and we would be talking about this. I did tell her I don't think I would want to move into a Are home. Are you out of your mind? A suicide has, uh, you know, not to be overly dramatic or anything. I just don't think I would want to move into yeah. a home. I don't know. I just would feel, especially you know, with all the reading I've done over my years, seen too many scary research, movies for that. Yeah, I just yeah, it's just from reading and like the books that we're using yeah. now. There's you know there is that possibility of someone's there still. Yeah, I'm I don't. not a fan. Anyway. 
All right. I hope you don't mind me digressing like that. I apologize, but I thought I would share that again with Okay, we are moving on to Demonic Attacks on the Exorcist. In our previous two podcasts, we did talk about the fact that usually an exorcist will have a team of people with him. A prepared exorcist will have, mm-hmm. <laughs> will have a team with him uh, during the actual exorcism, and the members of the team uh, do need to physically restrain the possessed person at times. In his book, Monsignor Rossetti does admit that over the course of many exorcisms that he has been involved in, he has been spit on, physically knocked down, choked to the point of almost passing out, been punched, and kicked and even concussed once. Now, if I'm spit on, I don't care if you're possessed by a demon. I'm going to knock the demon out of you with uh, my fists. Yeah, that's a danger, and you don't um, want to do that. <laughs> he believes that in every possession case, Satan has two primary goals. The second goal is to keep the possessed person from being liberated, freed of the de- the demonic possession. Mm-hmm. And the first goal being... Uh, to destroy the exorcist, priest's vocation, and to divide the team with self-doubt and demonic obsessions. Right. In the second podcast, uh, Zach, you remember, we were talking about an actual exorcism that was going on where Dr. Gallagher himself was physically present there and was restraining the woman, helping to restrain the woman on the couch. Uh, And he said that it would appear that she was trying to bite him at times, but it always seemed like there was this line that wasn't crossed where she was, uh, try to control yourself now, um, you know, where it come within an inch of his arm, but, you know, there seemed to be that line, and that, that was, you know, something that he had observed in other cases and other exorcisms where he was physically present. Exorcists themselves had told him about this type of thing. But as you can see here, what we were just saying now, when you read this book, sometimes there is that, there is no line that's actually stopping them, and you can see him being punched. You can see him being kicked. You can see him being spit upon, being choked, or definitely you know suffering from a concussion. So, once again, it's part of that whole mystery that we're dealing with here. Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Apparently, because certainly in Dr. Gallagher's case, you know, he it wasn't just him. Like he said, other people, you know, you would think that she was attempting to scratch them. The demon acting upon the person, using the person's body during the possession is trying to, you know, physically hurt the person, scratch them, punch them, whatever. But he would notice that they seem to only be able to go so far. But on the other hand, as you can see with some of Monsignor Rossetti's experiences that he shared in his book, there, there were times where he himself, let alone someone else on the team, but he himself has certainly been assaulted and and physically touched. So it just adds to the mystery of it all. It just shows us that nobody knows all the answers. Nobody fully understands this. Anyway, that's why uh, Monsignor Rossetti points out that he and his team always say binding prayers and protection prayers together prior to going into an actual exorcism. He does report on several cases of exorcists who ended up becoming sexually involved with women who had come to them for assistance and they literally left the priesthood rather than continue on as both priest and as an exorcist. So he said that's the kind of thing and that's exactly what a demon would want more than anything is to destroy them in their vocation of priest exorcist and to just once again and and meanwhile continue to possess the person that had come to them for assistance. And uh, Brazetti concludes his book by stating firmly that There are no exaggerations in anything that he has written. Much still remains a mystery, as we've said. Uh, We are dealing with unseen forces in the supernatural realm, and he concedes that some exorcists may read his book and may disagree with him on some points. 
for him and his vocation, he's in his 70s now, he mentioned in the book, um, evil is definitely defeated, in his opinion, only in Jesus Christ, and the exorcist has no authority himself over any demons except that authority given to him by Jesus through the delegation of the bishop. That's all part of the formal ritualized rite of exorcism. Certainly in the Roman Catholic faith, uh, everything there's, you know, there's rules and regulations that must be followed. There's a set way, form, and format that must be followed. And that's what he's saying is that in his opinion, uh, that is the only way to go. That's the only way that's going to work. I would mention one thing I didn't uh, put in our notes but I do remember when he was in the Air Force, he said, um, you know, th- these exorcisms can get very stormy. As he said, they can get very f- physical sometimes. And he said he remembered when he was in the Air Force, uh, he had to take um, all kinds of, you know, training and different things. And one of the things they had to train in was knife fighting. They did undergo knife fighting in case of, you know, Air Force, you know, in combat, Air Force men come down, and you know, for purposes of self-defense and all that. And he said, I always remind myself of what I learned from my knife fighting instructor in the Air Force when I'm going into an exorcism, and that is when you're in a knife fight, yeah, you expect to get cut. It's going to happen. So, and I, I thought that was very, very good, blunt, down-to-earth, and commonsensical advice and information, and I do agree with them I, from, from certainly some of the cases that he talks about in limited amounts in his diary book there, but in some of the things that we dealt with with Dr. Gallagher and Father Amorth and uh, Matt Baglio's book, The Right, that we read also, uh, yeah, there there can be some knife fights here going on because you're dealing with something that is um, pure evil and pure hate and pure rage. And that wraps up most of the basic information that we wanted to share with everyone on this whole paranormal topic. And that's why we're, we're trying to cover a lot of paranormal topics in the attic here. That paranormal topic of demonic possessions and exorcisms. Yeah, so I'll just close off with my final thoughts here. I think that these priests are better men than I ever would be. They have willpower that I definitely would not be able to have because if I'm spit on, I'm yeah. throwing these hands. Yeah. So I understand. In the Lord's name, these hands will be thrown. Yes. I- <laughs> so that's all. That's really all I have to say. I mean, I think this was a great topic. Uh, I think that we covered a lot in all three of these parts. And if you made made it through all three of these parts, um, congrats. I hope that we, we informed you with things that you didn't know. I hope that we racked your brain and made you think. And, yeah. It's a challenging topic. And it was one, if you remember, I was very reluctant. Initially, when we were going over podcast topics that we were thinking about, this was not one of the ones I listed on the initial. <laughs> I, it's, and it was something, as I explained in the first podcast, I mean, I had familiarity with going all the way back into the late 1970s, but uh, I've always found it a very uncomfortable subject to even think about, let alone read about, and then have to discuss and share with other people. It's just, it's... Not just that it's a, a, a huge area of mystery, but it, it, there's some frightening aspects to it. These assaults on people and how exactly, you know, does someone open the door that would permit such a thing to happen? Yeah. And But as we said, as Dr. Gallagher made very clear, as all of the exorcists that we've read uh, have made very clear, you know, it, it's nobody has all the answers. They They just, there's a lot of mysterious elements to this that no one can fully comprehend. We just don't know. You can make some guesses, some educated guesses on some of the areas, but um, no one has all the answers. It's a, it's 
it's it's in the realm of the supernatural. And as Dr. Gallagher talked about, that dark world where there are sentient beings, beings of intellect and free will that they seem to be able to observe us at times. They seem to be able to... Uh, they don't know what we're thinking. Everyone makes that clear, but they certainly observe our actions and they sometimes somehow are able to interact with human beings and cause havoc and cause pain and cause problems for people. And it's really a big, mysterious area. For me, myself, when I look back on everything we've done here, I really, again, can't stress to everybody how much I enjoyed the book Demonic Foes by Dr. Gallagher and his work as a psychiatrist in this whole realm, because he has over 25 years, as he said, of, of research now, firsthand research. He's not just getting secondhand reports or, you know, you know, reading case studies. As you read his book, you find out he's physically there. He's physically present and assisting at the, some of these exorcisms, working with multiple exorcists from all over, uh, dealing with people not just in the United States, but from around the world as well. I've seen him interviewed on TV. I would love to meet him. And like I said, interview him here on our podcast as we begin to grow our podcast, you know, as we can get the capabilities of doing even more with that and, and adding to our conversations. But I'm so glad to see a person of science that has gotten so involved because he stressed that in his book. We did mention this before, but, you know, he sees himself first as a physician, a psychiatrist, but he also sees himself as a firm, established believer in the absolute reality of demonic possessions and the reality of exorcisms that are sometimes rarely but are sometimes still, they're real, they're called for. And I like that because he's trying to bring together everything. He, he didn't get into this because he was a clergyman or he was involved, you know, as an exorcist. Yeah. He was a psychiatrist that was approached out of the blue and then got involved. But then once he got into it, he really jumped in. I think that's the way a scientist should be. He's trying to get his arms around everything that's involved, and that requires him to plunge in and to get involved, not just evaluate people, as he would be asked to do, to do those psychiatric evaluations. And like he said in his book, you know, I don't diagnose anyone as being possessed. There is no such medical diagnosis. But he tries to evaluate the person, do his job as a psychiatrist, strictly as a psychiatrist. But then he will have to refer people back on occasion to whoever the referring clergyman was to say... Um, yeah, I can't provide you with a psychiatric explanation for this. I can't give you a medical or a natural or a scientific basis or explanation for what is going on with this person. So as part of that whole discernment process, I think perhaps now you do want to consider going on to that next step, which would be to begin all of the work that goes into performing a rite of exorcism, which, as the exorcists say, is a journey. It is a journey, and the person who is possessed must want to be part of the journey and must work hard along with the exorcist and all of the team members that are working and praying with them because it doesn't work if the person, as we saw in some of the cases that we looked at in the second podcast, you know, if, if they don't want it, it's not going to work. It's not some silly or magical incantation process or formula. It doesn't work. It's, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's truly a struggle. So I've learned a lot I mean, I knew a lot about this whole subject even before we began doing our formal preparation, you know, for this and putting together notes and putting together ideas and talking about it. But I've even learned more things now uh, going through these. And as, as you know, some of these books are fairly new. 
Dr. Gallagher's book was 2020, and Monsignor Rossetti's book just came out last year in 2021. These are, uh, these are, uh, there's a lot of interesting information in all of these books, and they've, they've helped me to get a little bit better of an understanding of the totality of this whole realm, but also the, of, the, of the mystery and the unknown in this dark world, which even at my age now, slightly older than you, Zach, just ever so slightly older than you, I find frightening. I really do. And I was very serious. I, I have asked myself, uh, a priest friend once asked me if I would be interested in ever, uh, no, absolutely not. I just, uh, believe it or not, as much as I do love studying the paranormal and all that, no, sorry. <laughs> it's a no for me too. So Yeah, I just, I'm sorry. I don't think I'd be good. I don't think I'd be good. I, I would, li- would want to help the person. Believe me, I want to help them. And I'll be glad to pray for anybody, but I just, uh, and I will pray for anybody, but I just, I don't know if I am, if I have, you know, the, the physical stamina of what yeah, we no. required of me to, to go in you there know, and be. I'd be in the corner of the room, pissing my pants, crying and screaming all at the same time. So. I don't think you'd be alone. <laughs> you would not be alone if that makes you feel better. I, I wouldn't put it quite that colorfully, but yes, I, I certainly would uh, probably be making a beeline. I would yeah. be, uh, you know what I mean? Feet don't fail me now. I don't think I'd be there. But but we hope that everyone has uh, learned something from this, has enjoyed listening and going over all this information and our, our conversations with this. We didn't, even in the very first podcast, you had said, Zach, this is probably going to be like three podcasts. I was, yeah. re, when you rewatched the first one, I, you, you actually said that this is probably going to be at least three. We could actually do even more because of all the information we've been going through and all the reading we've done and research. But really, I think I've reached, I think at this point, I think we've, we've given a good overview. We've provided resources the names of the books and the authors and, and exorcist and Dr. Gallagher, you know, for people to follow up uh, on their own, if they wanted to, if they, they feel the need to yeah. find out more, but we're going to be moving on to some other territory now in the realm of the paranormal and, and mysteries and conspiracies and other things that we want to cover. So we do hope everyone enjoyed this bottom line for uncle Mark is though. I do believe at my age now, I believe that uh, demonic entities are real I, I do believe it. I believe everything that I read in Dr. Gallagher's book, in Monsignor Rossetti's book. I do think they're real. I don't. That doesn't mean I'm trying to influence anybody else. But for me, I do believe it. Um, I have no doubts. And I'm glad that I've educated myself even more. And all I could encourage everyone to do is to please avoid anything that could in any way open you up to any kind of demonic activity. Because it's just, from everything you read, all the cases we've gone through, it's just not worth it. It, in the end, you'll be misled and you'll be lied to and you'll be uh, taken advantage of. But in the end, they just want to hurt and destroy you. So it's not going to work out no matter what, you're, you know, what, what lies you're being fed at the beginning. It's just not going to work out. So I hope everyone will just avoid it. You don't need that stuff. We have enough to deal with in life here. So let's try to enjoy our lives the best we can and not get ourselves involved with things that we're going to deeply regret in the end. And that's all I would like to share, I think, with everybody. I okay. hope I didn't. And like I stated at the beginning of the episode, you guys can find us on every social media platform at Uncle Mark's Attic, Apple Music, or Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Yeah. Please feel free to leave those reviews. They will seriously help us out. Um, and yeah, that's it from Uncle Mark and Uncle Zach. I did not enter that title yet. Yeah. I'll, in a couple. Maybe more than a couple. I'll ask again, and we'll see. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you are an uncle now already. I will say that for you. (laughs) All right. Well, once again, thank you. Thank you all, and we'll see you again next time here in Uncle Mark's Attic.